Okay, so it's the end of May. It's 8.45 on Memorial Day morning, which meant that at my house it was time to leave so we could get the good seats at the parade. As we left our house that morning to walk around the corner to Van Aken Boulevard in Shaker Heights, it was great to see our neighbors pouring out of their homes on the way to, to the parade with their chairs hung over their arms, with their drinks in hand, with the kids scurrying about excited for the festivities that were to come. Some of us gather that day for the camaraderie, for the sense of community that is formed as you sit beside the road and clap and cheer for those in the parade. Some of us gather that day to remember and to celebrate those who have served our country and lost their lives and those who currently serve our country in the armed forces. Some gather on that day to celebrate the official kickoff of summer and they can't wait for that afternoon when the barbecues get turned on and the hamburgers start getting grilled. They're ready for that summer mindset. And then there's the children who gather that day for blood sport. They gather with bags in hand to collect the candy that rains like manna from heaven from the parade participants who just shower it upon us. Every year it reminds me that we all go to parades with different expectations. We all go to parades for different reasons. The same was true for the crowds in Jerusalem on this day so long ago. The crowds who gathered with palm branches in hand were all there for different reasons. It's important to understand that the city was packed. It wasn't just the normal Jerusalem crowd. It was Passover. It was like being in Washington, D.C. on Inauguration Day or the 4th of July. It was, it's like being in New York City on Thanksgiving Day for the parade or in New York City for the New Year's Eve celebrations. There's just people everywhere, trash everywhere, people coming and going and jostling each other. The city's just full of energy and excitement, and they are ready. They are ready for what's coming next. People, especially tourists, looking around, trying to figure out their bearings, trying to figure out where they're supposed to go and when they're supposed to be there. You see, everyone from all over the world came to Jerusalem for Passover. They wanted to be in their city as they marked this high holy day, as they remembered the sacred story that defined their people that defined their relationship with God, that reminded them year after year that God is the one who provides a way out of no way. They gathered to celebrate and to observe this sacred, holy day. Josephus, the notable Jewish historian, estimated that over two million people were involved in the great Passover feast every year. It is known that 256,500 lambs were slain at one Passover, and that each lamb represented 10 
worshipers at least. That is a bunch of people smushed into a city together. So it's not surprising that in such a tight space that an excitable carnival-like atmosphere could easily overcome the city. Lots of people jamming the streets, making their preparations for the Passover celebration, visiting with family, getting ready for the observance and for the celebration, all that they had to get done. And then you layer on top of all of these excited Jewish people the Roman military presence. During Passover and the other high holy days, the ranks of the Roman army swelled because these festivals, these gatherings, often acted like kindling in a campfire, providing the material that was necessary for the spark of rebellion to catch and spread. And to keep that from happening, the military showed up, quashing any sign or symbol of the Jewish people getting out of hand. And the time was ripe for rebellion. The Jews were weary. Weary. They were overtaxed and resentful of foreign occupation. They were growing disillusioned with the failed leadership of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were hungry, hungry for liberation and freedom for the time when God's people would be free once again. They were hungry for the Messiah to come and to liberate God's people, to liberate Israel from foreign hands. The Gospel of John tells us that on this particular Passover, the people were talking. They were telling each other about the rumors of this rabbi who was filled with the power of God. They were talking about this rabbi who was traveling and teaching and healing. There were rumors, you see, confirmed by more and more people that this rabbi was indeed a prophet with the power to perform miracles and cast out demons. And then, then the crowds heard the latest news that this Jesus, this rabbi, this mighty prophet had just raised a man from the dead that Lazarus of Bethany had been resurrected, had literally walked out of his tomb in his tomb clothes, right back into relationship with his family and his community. The exuberant crowds heard these things about Jesus, and their hopes were confirmed. This mighty prophet, this teacher without equal, was coming to Jerusalem, and the proof of his work was walking with him. Lazarus was coming to Jerusalem with Jesus. Spark, spark, fires of rebellion burning. Hopes are rising. People are excited that the day of God's deliverance is near. They are ready. They are on the edge of their seat They are ready for the shackles of bondage to be loosed and for their people to be free. In these stories of Jesus, they saw the one who was promised to come. They saw the one who was going to provide a mighty victory. 
So as the crowds prepare for their Messiah to to come, they grab symbols of resistance. These crowds strip the surrounding palm trees of their branches, and they wait at the city gate, which leads from the Mount of Olives, for Jesus to come. For Scripture tells them that the Messiah will come to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. So they sit and they wait with their signs of resistance in hand for the mighty one of God, to come to them. From the time of Maccabees, palms or palm branches have been a national symbol for Israel. Palm branches figured in the procession which celebrated the rededication of the temple. They featured prominently again when winning full political independence and later, after they were once again occupied by foreign powers, The palms showed up on coins that were made by Judean insurgents during the first and second revolt against Rome. The palms, simple palms, that we think are good for fanning or shading us from trees. Perfect kindling for the fire of rebellion. You see, the palms also hold importance to the Romans as well. The Roman victory ritual, where they, gra- where they marched into the city with their palms and hands, signifying that they had won a mighty victory. So as these crowds have swelled the streets, as they're lining, waiting for Jesus to come, waving a simple palm branch, full of so much meaning. And everyone is watching. The people are watching for Jesus, and the Romans are watching the people, waiting for what's going to come down the hill. And when the Messiah comes, they are ready. They are ready for him. Hosanna, they shout. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. The crowds pressing in on each other have worked themselves up to welcome their Messiah, to charge him as their leader, and to align themselves with his power to liberate and free them from oppression. The people of Israel, the people of Jerusalem are ready to make Jesus their Messiah. To make him do what they want him to do. Most of them have never seen Jesus themselves. They've only heard the stories. But they have huge expectations for this Holy One of God. They wanted him to be what they needed, what they thought they needed. And as Jesus draws close, as his own parade comes down into the city, I imagine everyone is waving their palms and saying, what? What is going on? their protests 
left wondering. We've known a thing or two about protests in our life, haven't we? Especially this past year. Communities in our country, our very own city, have been rocked by protests. People crying out in pain because of too much violence, too much racism, too much division, too much discrimination, too little opportunity. People joining together, waving their own signs of dissatisfaction, their signs of insurrection, and their call for a better way, yearning for the one who would come to make things better, yearning for the one who would show up to show us a way out of no way. There's not much difference between our palm parade and the protests we see in the world. Just like in ancient days, people are dissatisfied. People are yearning for the one who comes. There are plenty who try to take the lead. There are plenty who try to define movements who assume people's expectations and then wither and fade under the weight of everyone else's expectations. But that isn't what Jesus does that day so long ago. As Jesus draws close to the city, he does all he can to thwart expectations, to redefine how things are going to work, as people have their branches raised, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, wanting to look up at a mighty general, they find themselves waving the palm fronds above the head of Jesus, who comes into town on the back of a lowly donkey, who comes into into town on a beast of burden, using a prophecy from Zechariah, as his basis. Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Jesus comes into the city in humility, seated on a donkey, not as a warrior king riding or mounted on a war chariot. Jesus comes humbly, not doling out miracles. His gestures make clear that Jesus is a king, but not the king we expect. He is a king, but he's not going to be the king that you want him to be. As Jesus rides that donkey into Jerusalem, he is proclaiming that hope is at hand, that change is coming, but maybe, just maybe, the change won't unfold the way we want it to the way we expect it to. That donkey draws our eyes down from the lofty heights of privilege to the lowly pathways of peace. Jesus comes into the city to challenge and to liberate, 
But maybe it wasn't just the hearts and minds of the Romans and the Pharisees and the Sadducees that needed to be challenged. Maybe Jesus needed to change our hearts too. Maybe Jesus needed to change the hearts of the crowds, to change their expectations. Because as the author of this gospel points out, Jesus' disciples did not understand these things at first. If they didn't understand in the moment, how could anyone else? So Jesus needed to change their expectations. On the back of that little donkey, with palm branches raised in his honor, Jesus challenges our expectations so that we might begin to understand and open and be open to the amazing things that he is about to do this week. We don't understand most of what happens this week. But he challenges us. He takes our expectations and flips them on their heads so that maybe, just maybe, our hearts and our minds might be open enough for the seeds to rest in our souls. As we make this journey through Holy Week, as we prepare to walk with Jesus through the tough and terrible moments that present themselves, maybe our expectations of Jesus need to be challenged. Maybe they need to be turned upside down and examined so that as we approach the Easter miracle with clearer eyes and clearer hearts, we might be ready to recognize our deepest needs, our need for salvation more than temporary political solutions, our need to humble ourselves in the sight of God instead of trying to exalt ourselves over other nations and peoples, our need to let God be God to let God be king and Lord over our lives instead of trying to do that ourselves. Hosanna, the people cry. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Hosanna to the one who comes into the city, into our hearts, into our lives challenging us to see him as he is, the son of the living God, whose love surpasses our understanding. Amen.